there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting to like want to create that kind of impact, right? That have a similar, basically the same orientation, but the model, the thing they're working on, the problem they're working on lends itself to for-profit as opposed to nonprofit. There's actually a lot more activity there. And I was like, okay, and, and, and yet, you, you still had the vibrancy of that kind of culture and mission and sense of service, but you didn't have to compromise on salary or equity. And so the thought back then was like, wow, that's a much bigger universe to support. And I think it's gonna be, you know, like the biggest trend in venture that no one's talking about. Welcome to episode 18 of People Are the Answer. I truly believe that people are the only answer to the world's many problems. I'm Jeffrey M. Zucker, a serial entrepreneur, here to learn how innovators are creating outsized transformational social impact. Today's episode features Tabriz Vergi, an investor and entrepreneur in mission-driven technology startups. Tabriz sees money and business as energy to create and serve a future where all beings can thrive and be fulfilled. He's founded three companies, including Uprising Fund, which relentlessly supports mission-driven entrepreneurs taking on epic endeavors. Tabriz and I talked about his entrepreneurial journey, profit for purpose, how people interact with money, and much more. Here is Tabriz Vergi on People Are the Answer. Tabriz, uh, thank you so much for coming on People Are the Answer. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, it, it's an honor. And uh, I'd love, you know, just for you to start off by telling the audience, you know, where you're based, what your current role is. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I am broadcasting here from San Rafael, California. So... It's about 25 minutes north of San Francisco in Marin County. And um, gosh, Jeff, I have a lot of roles. <laughs> I have a lot of roles. I, I, I know that game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's funny you ask the question because I'm like, you know, I feel like we, we identify so much with different roles and it kind of like actually limits us, you know? So, but, so when I hear that, I'm like, where do I start? But I think, you know, the intention behind the question, like I get, you know, and, um, and I, I agree with you, you know, roles can be, they can be barriers. And myself as someone that does so many different things, it can be difficult, but in general, you know, a, a high level umbrella sort of role in your mind. Yeah. It was, it, it was more just like the, Hmm, where do I, where do I start? But, you know, I, I think the reason why you invited me here, right, is because I have a role um, for many years now and a real passion and love for supporting humans who um, are incredible at uh, converting their imaginations, right, and visions uh, and what their hearts see for a more beautiful world, like into reality by through their creation, right? And for me, that's been largely working with entrepreneurs uh, of all kinds uh, who um, uh, are working on things that like um, are not just incrementally positive, but like we see as possibilities for creating real fundamental change in the world, like systems level type of change, but also, you know, along with that um, change that actually impacts 
the very consciousness from which our systems arise, you know, and impacting yeah. culture and things like that. So that's my day-to-day -day role is radically supporting them. Uh, you know, technically I'm an investor. So I do that from that seat uh, as an investor in, in their companies. Um, but it's really about the relationships and how we show up in the relationships, you know, uh, from that place that um, of what's most meaningful. Yeah, I mean, that certainly resonates with me. You know, the name of the podcast, People Are the Answer. And you talk about, you know, the people and the relationships and supporting these people. Um, I, I like where you're coming from. <laughs> well, I love, the I love the title of the podcast. It made me smile when I, when I first saw it. I appreciate it. Um, okay, so, you know, you kind of answered where I go next in terms of what motivates you. You know, it's it sounds like people that are creating transformational impact. Yeah, it is, you know, and it's evolved over time. So I think that's been true for me. Uh, it's been true for me actually my whole life as a kid. Like I just dreamed about like, how do we more radically, like how do I, you know, get involved with that more? Like how can we get more creative? But I think, you know, and I did it on the side for a long time uh, um, uh, and, and kind of you know, had an early midlife crisis where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this with all my time, you know? Uh, and that was maybe like 12 years ago now. But what's changed is that, um, you know, this, the, the vibrancy of it has evolved over time, you know? And I feel like it's, um, um, you know, we say a word or a phrase, but like it's meaning as we mature, you know, can take on, you know, much, much more. And so I think, um, uh, the thing that I would sort of add to what you just said, right? Cause I think you summed it up, but the transformational change, I think I've come to really believe that it's not just change out there, like to get the real transformational change out there, we have to also be changing along with it, you know, and, and it's the, the convergence of those things, like where we get to be in relationship with people who recognize that too, on some level, and we get to be in that dance together is where we get really well split up. I really appreciate where you're coming from in terms of people needing to change in order to create change. And I think that's not something that's come up a lot in previous episodes yet. And I think it should, it should come up because in order to create the kind of transformational change of the people that I'm talking to here, they really have to be open to constantly growing, constantly learning. There's so many people set in their ways and those aren't the ones that are going to create that level of change that we're looking for. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, you talked about being a kid and dreaming about, you know, these types of things and helping. Um, where did you grow up? So I, um, I grew up mainly in the Midwest. I'm Indian, but my family was from East Africa, from Kenya and Uganda. And my parents came to the U.S. for grad school. And so they had to leave when they finished. So I was born on their way out of the country in Florida and spent my first, first few years in Brazil. Um, and then bounced around the Midwest a lot and settled in the Bay Area just uh, in the middle of high school, uh, which was such a blessing to be out here, right, in the midst, like all the, the amazing stuff that was happening here. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, the kid piece for me, um, I grew up in a community that was, there was a very deep ethic of service. So it was a, it's a community um, known as... Um, uh, the Smileys. So it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a sect within Islam 
um, that has got a lot of kind of esoteric, um, you know, ties uh, and um, but a, a very deep ethic of service. I kind of just grew up around it. It's like everyone volunteered, everyone contributed a meaningful part of their income to, you know, civic stuff and to community stuff. And so I had that. And then, you know, there were just some models that I saw of like philanthropists, including, um, including within uh, our community that were doing really cool stuff, you know, like like hundred year visions and like, you know, really, really creative and interesting. And, um, you know, I, I just was enamored with it. You know, I was like, why aren't people doing more of that? Like, I, w- I want to be able to do that. And I guess, well, gosh, that takes a lot of money. So I guess I have to play this game of making money in order to go do good. Right. And I was in that cycle i think uh, yeah. for the first 10 15 years of my career you know <laughs> well it's, it sounds like you had some incredible examples around you to sort of sit and ob- observe and absorb and you know i share that mindset in terms of money is a resource that we need in order to create the change that we want to see and need to see um so it's interesting to see that you recognize that early you know, I, I saw that early, but I think it was a it was a really incomplete view. You know, I think it was a very much like, you know, the means justifies the ends, right? It was very much like, okay, like do this in order to do that. It was like um, you know, it wasn't um I think you know, I, I think I had this realization, uh, like life is now, it's not on some deferral plan. Like, how, you know, I don't control at the end of the day, like how much money I'm going to make. I may think I do, but you know, when I'm young, but I don't actually, and you know, there's that, but I think there's also the way, you know, I think at the end of the day, we talked about culture and consciousness and it's that very thinking that I had, I think is so much at the root of why we still have so many challenges, right? And we're facing so many existential risks is because there's like an un- a set of unconscious behaviors when we're in that mindset, right? That we're kind of born into um, that are actually at the very root of the challenges that we have. So it's, it's, I think it's, it's been a multi-year journey that I'm still on of like really unpacking that, right? Unpacking the unconscious dynamics um, of money that uh, are at the root of so many of our issues. Right. Well, you talked about, you know, sort of how your mindset transitioned from initially just kind of seeing, you know, money as this resource, as long as the ends justify the means. So where did that take you in your early career? And, you know, when was that shift? <laughs> so my early career was, uh, you know, um, getting an engineering degree because, um, I had an uncle who was a clean tech entrepreneur and from the finance side, and he said, if you want to be an entrepreneur doing cool stuff, like it's good to have that background, you know? So I did that, but I, I, I went and, um, got a job at Bain, the consulting firm and thought, okay, I'll do this for a couple of years. And that's like a track to business school. Uh, but I ended up leaving after three months, uh, to start, uh, a company with a, with a childhood friend of mine and just got on that, um, you know, and I think once that happened, it was just so fun and so creative. It was like, I don't know. I think I was like, you know, just unemployable after that. You know, I had to figure out some way to invent something for myself to do. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I had a couple of go arounds uh, as entrepreneur and, and we got lucky with our um, second company and, and the first internet boom and, you know, had an exit. It was an internet music company that became really popular and, you know, 
gave us a chance to start angel investing and and um and playing with entrepreneurs and for me like funding social entrepreneurs and cool tech enabled nonprofits on the side you know like like kiva.org which is the world's first crowdfunding platform you know um yeah i want to dig in a little more to that yeah yeah we can talk more about that which is a very formative experience but it was very much like do the volunteer work and the the social entrepreneur impact stuff on the side and your main job just like you know play the game you know i you know went into traditional venture capital and started a, a firm there that um was just kind of doing things like everybody else you know and um um it was really the first thing that i that i had done uh with the same childhood friend of mine that didn't work out um and I had a child in the middle of it and I took my first break after it didn't work. And I kind of knew better that I probably shouldn't have gotten involved in the opportunity in the first place. So it wasn't really listening to the deeper voice. And it was just kind of a wake up call to reflect. And I just, I just had this, you know, very clear realization of I want to work on things I love and with people I love right now, every day. And it was of course things that like, you know, were like problems worthy of people's lives. And it was like really meaningful stuff. But it was like, no, I just I just want to do that now. And I want to just support those humans and be there for them, you know, uh, however I can. And, and that was really where the shift, you know, the big click happened, right? And then, of course, being in that more reflective place, right, and questioning my own answers. I was like really good at asking everyone else the questions, but, you know, asking myself the deeper questions. I think that just began to compound. Like I was like a pretty static human until that point. And I was like, oh no, like there started to be a shift in the meaning making engine. Right. And then and that compounded and has led to some really interesting things that, you know, that, that's how I'd summarize the, <laughs> the 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 beginning arc, right? And 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 the beginning of the shift. Yeah. I like it. It's uh it's cool to see you looking back on it you know with a new perspective that you know something different than you had then so i appreciate you sharing that um you briefly mentioned kiva.org i i'm definitely interested in learning a little bit more about that and um how you got involved with it yeah um uh kiva is such a it, i mean it's such a special organization so at the i think this was like 2005 or 2006 uh, it was a it was a, a couple Matt Flannery and Jessica Jackley who like you know, Matt had been to Africa and was like working in microfinance and saw the power of microfinance you know to um, empower and uplift people in their lives and was like well can I share this with my family you know like I could go online and like maybe post a website and like my family could fund the loans and just you know he just did that wanting to do a simple thing and like internet community just saw it, bloggers and people just boom, you know, it was all this attention and energy. It was like, wow, this could be a thing, you know? So yeah, it, was, it ended up becoming the first crowdfunding platform, you know, but for democratizing microfinance and allowing anywhere, anywhere in the world to, you know, support um, in a dignified, sustainable way with a zero interest loan, you know, to um, other people. And another dear friend um, uh, named Premal Shah from uh, PayPal, was trying to do something with microfinance at PayPal and saw what Matt and, and Jessica were doing and were just like, oh my God, that, and so they all teamed up and he left PayPal and um, uh, you know they started Kiva and it became like the most talked about nonprofit for like a few years. It was like Oprah and Bill Clinton and you know PBS and I mean, just, it was just a lot of buzz and energy and attention, you know? And um, 
you know, looking back, I mean, I, I don't know what the stats are now. I was sort of a founding board member and initial funder, and I was there for 11 years. Uh, and now it's, it's probably been 15 or 16, but, you know, they've, uh, they're probably getting close to, you know, um, the well north of a billion dollars worth of loans and, you know, millions of families and lives that have been possibly impacted and, you know, still continuing to innovate and do really cool things. That's absolutely incredible. And I, you know, I saw that the mission is listed as to connect pe people through lending to alleviate poverty. And I mean, that's, that's powerful. It's a powerful mission. And it sounds like over a billion in loans that it's been incredibly impactful. I mean, especially considering how small of a loan I assume makes a big difference. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's been a really amazing ride. Awesome. Well, uh, incredible work there. And um, I appreciate sort of the perspective that gave to crowdfunding in general um, and, and the ways that it can be used. And um, you know, another organization that I saw that you're involved with is uh, Watsi. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, we were, you know, there were, there were a bunch of these really amazing kind of cool tech enabled uh, nonprofits, you know? And so, yeah, we met a few people in the span of a few weeks introduced me to a guy named Chase Adam who um, was on a bus. Uh, I think he was in Africa too. He'd been in the Peace Corps and there was a woman who came on the bus and she was showing something to people and everyone was handing her money. And she's like, wait a minute, like no one, like everyone's always begging, asking for money. Like so many people, no one pays attention, but like this woman is getting everyone, what's going on? And she came to him and she had a picture of her son who needed medical help, but not just a picture. She had the medical record. She was showing the doctors like what was needed. So it was like verified, you know, it was like a real legit thing. And everyone, and he's like, he knew about Kiva and he was like, well, someone must be doing something with crowdfunding for the, you know, taking that insight. And of course no one was, so he did it. And I think he was actually the one that inspired Paul Graham at Y Combinator to start nonprofit cohort. So he was the first nonprofit. Watts, he was the first nonprofit kind of go through Y Combinator. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and that's how it started. And then it sort of evolved from there. Um, but yeah, there were a few things like that, that just, you know, um, really beautiful examples of how, um, you know, technology could be brought and the tools of entrepreneurship could be brought, you know, to, to, to do something really meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, that's, that's really thoughtful. It's like uh, a GoFundMe, but with some more data around it and um, truly a, a better understanding of the impact you're creating by supporting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Got it. Um, well, you know, all of you, you were involved in these various tech enabled nonprofits. You really were getting an understanding of how tech can create, can help create and help push this incredible impact. And it appears to have culminated in your creating of Uprising. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautifully put. I think um, what I was seeing with the likes of Kiva and Watsi were. Uh, people who were turning down jobs at the hottest tech startups and companies, right, to come work, you know, and, and, and give their lives towards a mission that was deeply meaningful. But, they, you know, they were getting like really low salaries, right, and no equity, right? But the psychic income 
that they were receiving was like so potent that it made up for that, right? And it wasn't just the founders, but it was like, you know, lots of people that were joining these things. So for me, it was like, wow. And there was such an incredible energy around them. So it was A, so fun to be there, but you could feel that energy just lifting, right? The org and carrying the mission and, you know, impacting the like press they got, right? And the, so, I, you know, the thought I had was like, wow, you know, there are very few things every year that emerge in that domain that could really think have the potential to um, um, to reach a lot of people. Um, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting to like want to create that kind of impact, right? That have a similar, basically the same orientation, but the model, the thing they're working on, the problem they're working on lends itself to for-profit as opposed to nonprofit. And there's actually a lot more activity there. And I was like, okay, and, and, and yet, you, you still had the vibrancy of that kind of culture and mission and sense of service, but you didn't have to compromise on salary or equity. And so the thought back then was like, wow, that's a much bigger universe to support. And I think it's going to be, you know, like the biggest trend in venture that no one's talking about. And so, um, so it was really like, okay, the last thing the world needs is another venture fund. Like I was very cognizant of that. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, but, I love being the person behind the person. Um, I didn't want to be kind of in the hot seat as founder anymore, uh, or at least not at the time. And um, I was like, let's see, you know, let's see if there's like a real need here. And I started angel investing and playing around. And I just felt a lot of resonance with founders who were like, oh my God, like, I wish that, like, I wish there were folks that we could work with who knew how to help support and build missions and, you know, um, accomplish the mission, but who really felt, had a felt sense and alignment with us around why we were doing it, not just personally, but institutionally. And that was unusual because, you know, if you're a venture fund, your investors are folks that want you to just maximize financial returns, right? Like that's the only part of the conversation with your customers, your LPs, right? And so, um, uh, uh, that, that I noticed that was like a real desire. So I was like, okay, there's, there's a need here, you know, so let's jump into that space and, and support it. You talked about the employees, you know, being mission driven and really buying in and it, the, when you can get the investors to be on the same page, I mean, that's got to go incredibly far um, and getting them on board with the mission. And I think that I've had a lot of conversations lately about just changing the incentives in business. Business isn't the enemy. The incentives yeah. as they are currently aligned yeah. in a lot of instances is the enemy. Yeah. Right. So it's so true. I mean, people are fundamentally good, right? And they want to express their hearts and humanity, but the structures we have, the incentives we have are just so powerful, right? And the gravity right. and I mean it there it's a it's really hard to escape that. Yeah. So who you surround yourself with, right, as a as an entrepreneur, uh your investors, your board, obviously your team, but like is hugely important. And I think massively underestimated. And we've seen, I think, you know, we've all seen and can talk about just total train wrecks that have occurred because of misalignment. And there's a lot of horror stories. Generally, the venture community has gotten friendlier and more entrepreneur friendly and supportive. But, you know, uh, there's, I think it's like, you know, 
I just, the general dynamic I, we still see, right, is that the gravity well of the folks that are around entrepreneurs are essentially um, a force that still pulls them down from the full potential of who they could be as humans and how much of their humanity they could express through their business, how much more beauty actually could be expressed and, you know, um, how much more in the long run actually value could get created, right? All kinds of value, not just financial value, but all kinds of value. And, and so I don't think we, you know, with impact investors and better aligned investors, you know, like you see situations that are, are, uh, you know, rebalancing that, but, I don't, I think what's interesting and what we've been playing with, right, is like, what if it wasn't just alignment, but what if it was like this? Like, what if the investor group was actually calling entrepreneurs into an even higher vibrancy, like seeing them, not just meeting them where they are now, but looking at that arc of who they could be, right? right? Um, the piece they can be in the puzzle type of thing. Well, it's not, it, it, I mean, it's piece they can be in the puzzle, but it's like, you know, we talked about the interchange, right? And we're all on these journeys to become the best versions, the truest versions of ourselves, right? By shedding the things that actually don't serve us anymore, that aren't really authentically ours, that are just the, you know, forms of cultural programming or that gravity well we talked about that like actually block our true expression, right? Or, you know, um, like the, 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 the parts of our, our shadows, right? Um, that, um, we don't really want to look at, you know, but end up owning us and end up driving so much of our creation. I mean, look at big tech. I mean, every one of those founders had good intentions and good values. And look at where we ended up, right? Because power, ego, these things corrupt. And because we're not, if we're not willing to look at the shadows that our superpowers cast, if we're not willing to question our answers, um, uh, then, then that's what happens. And so I'm, what I'm, when I say this, right, I'm talking about, what if we could surround teams and founders with investors and board members who are playing that game with them right. of helping them become the best version of themselves, right? Not just meeting them where they are, but holding this possibility. Yeah. Right. What would that look like? I mean, it's it, tremendous is, you know, how I see it. And that is what I've seen you up to with uprising. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a real privilege and blessing to, to just be in a position where we get to, yeah. um, you know, play in ways and experiment and do things that are uh, unconventional and may seem a little bit nuts, <laughs> you know? Um, and thanks unconventional to- is my favorite. You know? <laughs> I like to do things out of the box. You know, people are like, well, it's always been done this way. Like, well, then let's not do it that way. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that. I love that so much. And, and, you know, and having people like you around us, right, is part of what enables, right? That is the privilege. That is the blessing that enables us to do it. So it's the same analogy, right? Like who our relationships, supporters, investors are, right? Um, yeah. uh, that that alignment is crucial, right, to us being able to um, be unconventional, right? And to be right. more of ourselves, right? Because it's always there, but it's just we weren't giving ourselves permission when we first started, right. To do that. We had to prove ourselves. We had to earn the right. We had to da, 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 right. And, and, you know, um, part of that's true. And I think there's just probably 
there's always so much more possibility available to each one of us to do more of that in every now moment than than we realize you know it just it right. takes it, it but it's scary it's really scary <laughs> yeah no it, it it definitely is and um but i appreciate you know what you've been working on and the precedent that you're setting and the mindset that you've created around these businesses that you're working with and um you know i saw a quote it might have been your website or something that said um <laughs> you, you see money in business as energy to create and serve a future where all beings can thrive and be fulfilled um i thought that was beautiful and I think it really speaks to, you know, what profit for purpose can be. I think that there are people out there that don't see business as this powerful vehicle for change. They, they don't understand that you truly can create incentive structures that create profit for purpose. Um, and I think that, you know, you're answering their questions and what you're doing is embodying, you know, the, the answers to these arguments. And I'm curious, you know, what would you say to someone that says, oh, a profitable business can't can't be purposeful. You know, I think when we started uprising like a decade ago, um, you know, we would have those kinds of conversations and it was less that it can't be profitable, but it was more like, well, you know, if you're worried about two bottom lines, right, that's like, you know, that kind of weighs you down or, or there's going to be trade-offs right between these things. And what happens when you have a trade-off or, um, you know, or it constricts your degrees of freedom. Like when you have a mission and you realize you have to pivot the, the, the business model and employees are more upset, and, you know, it was like all these kinds of stories. And now I think, I mean, look, just I mean, for anyone who says that, I mean, the data just says you're wrong, right? It's very, very clear. You know, you can look at it, public market indices, you can, there's so many studies. The last chapter of um, uh, John Mackey's book on conscious capitalism like summarized a lot of this data from like 10 years ago. And like in the last decade, there's been so much data. So, you know, you know, we did our, we've done our own analysis of the private markets. Like it's just, the, the, you know, it's just an old story at the end of the day, right? And the truth is that um, um, what we experience is that the hardest thing Right now, the, 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 the most meaningful thing for a business are who are the humans, right? Who's the team, right? It's 80% of it. And the competition for talent and for great people right, is so high. And you just can't, if you don't have a deeply meaningful, like a, you know, for anyone who wants that in their life, like, you know, you, you, if you don't have that, you're in, you're in big trouble, right? And I think the more vibrant that is, the better the talent's going to be, the higher the retention is. You know, we see this all, all over the place. So there's a series of things like that that we see across um, the industry and the businesses we work with that are just really, really clear. Yeah, that's been a very clear trend to me and job seekers, you know, looking for, um, you know, things that make them want to be there and want to be at the job. Uh, my friend Mo Brown, who was in a previous episode, he mentioned kind of you know, your tangible salary versus your intangible salary. It's like someone's tangible salary can be super high, but if that intangible salary isn't high as well, then they might go with the lower, the lower monetary salary. Yeah, that's right. And then, and I think, again, so much of the conscious, the, the programming around money is that people make decisions that actually don't lead to their happiness and well-being, right? Because it turns out the intangible stuff, right, is like actually... And the research shows, right? It's just like right. actually way more important uh, right. to to our fundamental happiness and and well being. 
So I, I love that, you know, with Uprising, you support mission-driven technology entrepreneurs pursuing epic endeavors that matter. I think that is very clear and concise, and I appreciate that. And um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit, you know, maybe about some of these epic endeavors, you know, whether that's telling us about portfolio companies or, or, or not. Um, I, yeah. I think that's exciting. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to go right there. I wanted to say one other thing about yes. um, profit, purpose, business. Money. Oh, yeah. I think that, um, I think that, there, well, you know, there's, I, I think like we're like very much on the, sort of the bell curve of that understanding. I feel like we're like more than halfway through it, roughly. Like mo like a lot of people get that. And there's still people that are sort of catching up. But that's going to happen. It's going to happen. So if we look at like where the puck is going, right? And like what is the edge today, right? What is the provocative, like what is, what is the thing we need to question now? It's not that, right? We get that. We, we know that's important. Like everything should, you know, incorporate that. But, you know, when we talk about money as energy, right? If that's true, then energy should be able to flow in any form and in any way, right? That uh, without constraint to create the future we want to live in. And so, you know, when we, like, if to accomplish the change in the mission we care about, it requires us to not only maximize profit on the efficient frontier of risk reward, right? But to complement that with other things in the ecosystem, you know, it could be yeah. philanthropic dollars uh, that go into any number of channels. It could be other, other structures. It could be lending. It could be any number of things, right? Um, like, why aren't we doing that? Right. Like, why aren't we doing that? And so I can talk more about it and even in the, in the context of some of the examples that you asked yeah. me to talk to. So I'll do that. But I wanted to name that. And I also wanted to name that, you know, we're in a period where we are, the, you know, these mega companies that are redefining industries um, um, and are becoming like nation states. Right. In terms of their power, um, those are become, being created faster and faster. And the amount of power they're concentrating is more and more potent because it's gone from ad tech to like, you know, actually, you know, defining how billions of people wire their biology and their brain, you know, to AI and, and, and taking control of evolution, so many things, right? So in that world where we're concentrating power and wealth that quickly, um, I think this idea of, you know, there's a lot of critique of like the, you know, the, the, the billionaire philanthropists, right, right? Who concentrate the wealth and then make the decisions, you know, and I think that's, that's also something we, that we fundamentally, that, that needs to shift, you know, and that, that needs to change. And, you know, we don't have all the answers there by any means, but it's very clear to see what is broken and what we need to try new ways around. So, you know, that is, I think, another piece of the question around, um, it's like sort of the next layer of the question that you asked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all right. Sorry. I had to, I no, had to, that's, that's, you know, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a really, really valuable point. You know, as much as we can do create these businesses that truly have profit for purpose, the profits are accumulating in, uh, not enough buckets. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we doing with that? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
Uh, um, so you were asking me uh, about to share some stories, basically some examples of stuff that, that we're working on. Yeah, the types of epic endeavors that you know, <laughs> epic your, endeavors. your portfolio companies are tackling. <laughs> okay. Um, well, the first one that I would love to talk about is um, a company called Devoted Health. Yeah, and which, maybe know, this is a good time for a disclaimer that I'm an investor in Uprising and uh, directly yeah. an investor in Devoted Health. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and thank you for for naming it and and for uh, for being part of it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, we love talking about that one because um, you know it's one of those companies where it's like it exemplifies at a, at a at like a very high level so many different things that we care about all at once. You know, so it's a great one to just kind of cover a yeah. lot of ground, you know. Um, but the story of Devoted Health is a um, story of two brothers, Todd and Ed Park. You know, everything starts with people, right? So, uh, and Todd and Ed, um, when they're really young, like 24 and 22, helped start a company with another friend of those, theirs. Um, called Athena Health. And it was initially actually focused on um, moms and babies in underserved areas and like running clinics for them. But there were a lot of challenges in that space and a very long story, but they ended up creating, writing software to solve problems for those clinics. And that software ended up becoming the business that scaled and that ended up becoming the largest like internet-based software and first and largest internet-based software to serve doctor's offices. It became a public company. It was very valuable. Todd then went on to, um, uh, amongst other things, he went into government and was recruited unexpectedly and was CTO for Health and Human Services in the Obama administration. Then President Obama tapped in to become CTO of the United States. Um, and so he was sort of in the White House as like, top technology advisor and had a really interesting purview, right? From entrepreneurship to philanthropy to government on healthcare systems and came out realizing that, um, you know, like this challenge we have of spending like way more money than anyone else in the world on healthcare, right? And rapidly escalating at a much higher rate than GDP, choking off spending on everything else. Um, you know, and getting totally crap outcomes, right? Uh, is just not, it's not changing anytime soon. So the question they asked was like, what's the smallest ob possible object we can build to alter the trajectory of that in this country? And the answer was, what, was what became Devoted Health, right? And it was basically an alternate universe healthcare system that could demonstrate end to end um, basically proven models of value-based care where you actually, because you know, our, our system currently, right, only incentivizes more and more expensive procedures because we pay for procedures. We don't pay for outcomes and value in most of the country, but in small pockets where we've done this, it's proven to be highly effective. Right. So Misaligned incentives in our current system. I mean, exactly where yeah. you started, right? And so 
everyone knows this, right? But but the machinery and the gravity and the incentives of the current system make it really hard to change it. And so it was like, okay, can we start with a mission of, you know, that initially starts with seniors in the United States, but eventually could go to everyone everywhere where we want to deliver them the best care in the world, right? Which every health economist agrees will be the cheapest thing to do because you prevent all the unnecessary procedures and all the train wrecks and because you do preventative care and you do upfront stuff. So can we just deliver the best care in the world, uh, the right thing, the right place at the right time with love and care as if we were taking care of people as if they were our own family, like truly, Um, and have the freedom to really do that without getting co-opted by the current system. So to do that, they had to build their own insurance company uh, so they could pay, they could, they could pay for a healthcare, right? For people the way they wanted to. They had to build an entirely new technology platform to power not just that value-based insurance company, but to power the other part of it, which is all of the care delivery piece. So they had to go out and build very careful relationships with primary care physicians and build the right networks uh, to care for people. Um, and then they also um, had to do their own house call medical group, which is now virtual to take care of people home proactively and prevent them from going to the hospital. Right. And then they built like a professional son and daughter guardian angel service. Cause the nightmare of the system mm-hmm. or the U S medical system is such that like, it's so hard for people to navigate unless you're an expert and it's like your half-time or full-time job. You know, doctors tell patients to do things that doesn't get followed up on. And you have eight different doctors and, you know, 13 medications and reconciling all this. And it's just a mess. Right. And so they have a tech enabled guide team that basically plays that role and helps to navigate you through the healthcare system. But, you know, if, if you're um, needing food, they'll help you get food stamps. Right. And if you need to, fill out forms to get bars from the government to like prevent slip and fall risk in your bathtub, they'll help you with that. So it's just really comprehensive. And that guy team develops deep trusted relationships with members. And so this whole organism, uh, if you will, um, is, um, uh, you know, there's really not a great word for it. Like, you know, technically a payer and a provider, you know, but it's this integrated holistic, whole person, you know, care delivery uh, uh, and payment system. And, uh, you know, they've been at it now for a few years. And um, it's, uh, it's incredible what they're doing. So the, they're massively reducing the rate of hospitalizations, right? Um, they're taking much better care of people. People love it every day. They're saving lives and the kind of notes and love notes they get, you know, from people who are just blown away that like, like you're better than family. Like you show up for me better than my family does. Like, this is crazy, you know? And so, you know, they have, you know, the average and net promoter score in health insurance is a 12, right? The leader in that space right. is United Healthcare is like negative one and devoted is like 80, Right. And wow. so it's higher than Apple, Netflix, right, in, in healthcare and health insurance, which is really pretty incredible. And I think, you know, while they have had to build amazing tech and um, do a lot of really hard things, right, they, they would tell you that the core engine of the company is this sense of love and like making decisions, tough decisions 
from a place of like closing your eyes and thinking of the person you love most, like what would you do for them? And everyone in the company is just empowered to do that thing in that moment. And they have a set of investors that are amazing that are all bought in on the idea that we're looking at value creation on a rolling 20 year basis, right? So if you're thinking really long-term and you have the right people and the right alignment around that, right? And the founders have gotten the protections they need to ensure the stewardship of that mission, then you can go do the types of things that they're doing, you know? And we think that they will build by far the most impactful and, and at the same time, right, the most valuable healthcare company, uh, you know, in the world over time. Yeah. 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 It, it's incredible. I mean, what a huge vision and to see how they've been tackling it. Um, I've been astounded, impressed. Like I, you know, I've seen those, uh, those love notes as you call them, uh, some of those, and it's, it's, it's really incredible. And I mean, it just, it really highlights the fact that our current system is such a mess. It doesn't, it, there's no preventative healthcare and to, to see this, um, methodology, uh, around devoted has been really refreshing and I'm excited to watch its evolution. Thanks, Jeff. Thank it, you. And that brought to mind, um, when you were talking about sort of the long-term play, the 20 year rolling play, it brought to mind another portfolio company, LTSE, uh, long-term <laughs> stock exchange. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a, a another really bold, you know, kind of moonshotty. Yeah. In fact, when, you know, when it started, it was like, oh, this is, this is crazy. And there's no way this is going to work. But let me, let me share a little background. Um, so again, the humans, Eric Reese, the founder of the company, he uh, doesn't need much introduction usually because he's like a legend uh, in Silicon Valley across the world. Uh, he wrote the book, The Lean Startup. So that whole movement, right, was Eric. And after writing the book, he traveled the world for many years and um, talking to corporations, big and small governments, you know, all kinds of institutions. And consistently, everyone at every level of, the, of those organizations he would talk to would, com would basically complain about how they can't do the thing that they really want to do and they know is most meaningful. Some version of this story, right? They can't do that because the short-termism, the short-term yep. demands of the next quarter profit and Wall Street this, right, are just suffocating. Yeah. He's like, well, and then, you know, being a startup founder, he's like, well, we spend like, years, you know, eight, 10 years trying to build something that's really meaningful, having this long-term view, considering all the stakeholders. And then like we arrive in the public markets and it's just like the drumbeat, right? Of quarterly earnings and like activist shareholders that like, you know, all of a sudden can like um, just have these radical influences, right? And there are people who, who, aren't aligned to the mission at all necessarily. Like they may be renting the stock for a few minutes, right? right. And trading and algorithms and, you know, wh why in the world do we allow that to happen? Well, so he went out there and he started talking and saying, well, well I mean, it's obvious. We should just change it, right? Like, why, why don't we change the, the game? Like, we created it. But I think he was just shocked by how much resistance there was to that. Like, no, almost like people would get upset. Like, what do you mean? Like, this is natural law. Like, this is the way it is. Like, you can't change that. And so he was just, you know, I think he went around for years trying to get the people in power at the, other, at the existing exchanges to, to, to do something about it. But no, 
And so he was like, you know, any entrepreneurs like, well, okay, you know, I guess I have to do it now. So he started a company to create an alternative to that system and to give founders, to give boards, to give shareholders and the missions that they steward, the protections uh, to be able to build for the long term and tune out a lot of the noise that comes. And the, you know, there's so many movements, right? There's, there's what happened with B Corps and, 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 and um, Flexible Purpose Corps, right? And this is a necessary set of things to create that same kind of freedom. Um, there's, you know, um, movements and, and, and the conscious capitalism and other things that are like trying to do the same thing. But the gravity well of Wall Street and those dynamics are not those are those are necessary but not sufficient and so he realized that you need a mechanism where you have the literally the regulatory enforcement and guardrails right of the u.s government that a stock exchange has right to to create that and so imagine then if you know uh founders could build in um um the mechanisms for better governments, for employee representation, for diversity, equity, inclusion, for, for climate, you name the issue, right? And they could build that into um, the, essentially into the charter, right? Of the business, right? And have that protected, uh, it would change the game completely. And one of my favorite innovations which is you know, very controversial, but what if you could actually align voting power based on how long someone's been a shareholder. So look, the whole system can work. You can have all the liquidity, all the trading, like everyone gets to play their game, do, do the thing, right? No one is threatened. But if you just made that one shift, now imagine if I'm a 10-year shareholder, I have 10x the voting power of someone who's been a one-year shareholder. I can still sell my stock anytime, but all of a sudden, this that company now right can actually continue to make the right long-term decisions and not get yo-yoed and yanked around and so you know but you know there's there's not been a new exchange in like decades decades so they filed a form one you know it was like a 600 page application with the sec and you know five or six years later got actually approved for a new exchange and got a, a medallion you know that that enables them to to do it and um, they went live and um, they now have their first two customers, uh, two high profile, uh, fantastic technology companies. So Twilio, right? Uh, which is probably being used in the background for us right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Asana yep. uh, are listed on the exchange. And they also basically are building tools for the whole startup ecosystem. So the whole journey from when you found a company, because you got to start working on these things right away. If you, get, if you wait too long, it becomes harder and harder. So they, they built all kinds of tools uh, around uh, governance and stewardship, you know, for founders, for companies along the way through being a public company. Um, and, um, you know, they have... Um, now that they're, you know, it's like five, six years and like no one thought you'd even get the exchange approved, right? And then nobody thought like you could actually get it up and running and, and like great companies would join it. And so here they are and there's yeah. a lot of excitement now because found, I mean, the experience for founders and executives of being in a traditional public company, it sucks. 
yeah. right? There's, it sucks. And, and they're not the customer of the exchanges. They're the product because yeah. the money is made based on trading volume. So, the, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the, all the machinery, the investment banks, the stock exchanges, the companies are the product. They're not the customers. So they've inverted that. And they don't make money in any of those misaligned ways, right? So they can really serve the customer. And so founders love it. They want it. But it's scary. You know, it's scary to go first and be early. Um, but I think, um, you know, as they, uh, as there continues, as the movement grows, right, uh, and the word gets out and the experiences get out, I think there's a real opportunity um, for them to be that missing piece in the rest of the ecosystem that allows the collective way we do business, the way capitalism is done to actually make a pretty big shift, right? And it's going to be necessary with the challenges we have in the world. If, if the people leading businesses, which capture government now, right, essentially, right, if they can't act in a long-term way, in a multi-stakeholder way, and act in a way that's actually congruent, right, with who they really are as humans, um, we're going to drive this thing off a cliff, right? Yep. And that's, that's the path we've been on. So it feels like one of those companies that's so much more than a company. Um, you know, it's so much more than that. Agreed. I mean, it, it really resonated with me as someone that's an entrepreneur. And, you know, my dad started a variety of companies when I was a kid. And one of them, he did take public. And I recall vividly, for some reason, I don't have a lot of great sharp memories, but I vividly recall him complaining that he had to answer to quarterly earnings and he was trying to build for years in the future. And yeah. it frustrated him. You know, he ended up eventually out of that company because he just, it wasn't how he operated. And that's the story, you know, and that's, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, I mean, it's just to pour your life and, you know, your blood, sweat, and tears, and, and to see such beautiful possibilities, you know, and for those things to just uh, kind of go down the drain, you know, because of the way we've designed this is, is just heartbreaking. So, yeah, I, um, we, we're really excited about LTSC. And, and it's the type of thing that requires, I mean, you know, from our perspective, they're doing something so hard. There's so much resistance. I mean, I can't even tell you how much resistance there is in the current, like, you know, Eric and, and that team there, right? They need, they need a kind of different kind of support. You know, they could really benefit from a different kind of support. And, and it's been awesome. And there's an amazing investor group so far that's come together to take it this far, but it's going to require more resources in the future. It's going to require more people, more investors and thought leaders to join this movement. So, um, yeah, anyone who's listening to this, like, you know, if, if this uh, sparks something in you, like, you know, we'd love to talk about it. Yeah. 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 So it, it, to me, that's a great example of, you know, real systemic change in progress. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that we mentioned previously uh, in our discussions was where does real systemic change come from? Um, and to me, this is an example of that. Yeah. And I think they're at an interesting point where um, they can see like, you know, I mean, LTSC is a very um, 
highly regulated business, right? And um, there's different parts of the business that actually have to be separate entities and governed separately. So there's the exchange itself, right? But there's a software business, which is a separate, you know, there's like in more of like an asset, you know, there's different lines of business. Um, and those are the, those are things that they're doing themselves, but from their vantage point, you know, once you kind of get in and begin to reimagine, they see so many different opportunities within the ecosystem that are other important levers that could really help support um, what everybody wants, right? What the founders of these companies really want. And, um, but them spending time and effort doing those things, building a movement, um, some of those things may not have like discrete short-term, you know, profit outcomes, but in the long run, would help support um, a bigger shift, right? And create the space for, I think like we get so used to, like we want our businesses to show this kind of growth, right? Boom, 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 boom. But sometimes you have to do things where you don't actually know when it's all gonna click and come together. But there'll be non-linear events where all of a sudden, because you've laid the groundwork, it's like a boom, right? But the psychology of venture capital, like doesn't yeah. really support that. So it's, it's a really interesting time because you can kind of clearly see the parts of the business that can go boom, 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 right? But what about the rest of that stuff? Because we know it's important. We know it's going to yeah. matter. And so, you know, how do we come together to ensure those things are supported, funded, and resourced in the way that they should? Because that's, that's the way to really be in service to the mission, you know? And yeah. I think that, that c companies and teams that are working on challenges of this nature, um, you know, five, 10 years ago, wouldn't even have the conversation because it was so far out of the realm of what could be possible. But now, it's like, we got to talk about this, right? And it is time to talk about it. And there are people that are starting to talk about it. And that's challenging, um, or at least raising questions around what are the structures? Like, how do we uh, uh, fund and resource and, and structure um, companies that are much more than companies? They're really like these ecosystem plays. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, We've talked about two incredible uh, portfolio com portfolio companies, Devoted and LTSE. I'm sure we could talk about portfolio companies all day. You have yeah. some incredible ones, yeah. but you know, let's let's dig a little bit more deep deeply into your journey. Um, can you talk about how your work has become a spiritual journey? <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's certainly been the most surprising part of all this. You know, like we went in dreaming about, da -da 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 -da, you know, like the stuff we would do, the people we would work with, the, but, you know, what it's brought about inside of us, I think, has just been the most surprising piece of it. Um, you know, I think doing this work and, and I think particularly entrepreneurs, right? Like you're constantly at an edge. Like it's so hard. It's so confronting to, 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 you know, it's so difficult and just confront so much in us. And so 
you know, whenever we're at an edge, whether it's because we're putting ourselves in a difficult situation or there's an illness or something, right? We, there's, there's something um, just living in that place, which is, um, I don't know, like the, the veil is thinner. We're less in the autopilot mind, right? And we're more open, essentially. So I think we, we definitely uh, experienced that. You know, and we're not, we weren't living in an edge in as an intense way as entrepreneurs, but because we were constantly questioning and trying to push an envelope, right? Like that put us in that space. But, um, you know, I think as we began to see things and people that we were so excited about originally and then see the like the dynamic that we talked about earlier of like the the missed opportunities the the challenges which seem to like you know keep popping up in different ways you know but we're like speaking to something deeper <laughs> you know the the shadows right, that we talked about that our superpowers cast, like the unintended consequences. I think, you know, we began to be like, wow, like we need to think more deeply about this stuff, right? And we began to see like, wow, like there's, uh, there's this relationship between who we're becoming and these things. And so what it led us to is, you know, I first say like getting outside of our comfort zone and putting ourselves in situations where our conventional ways of knowing were being challenged. And then also a lot of like personal development, you know, kind of stuff, right? And, and the thought, was, and I think we needed to do it for ourselves, but then as we did it, we're like, oh my God, this is gonna be so impactful for our founders, you know? Um, and we'd sit in boardrooms and be like, people will be like arguing about stuff and issues are coming up. And it's like, we began through that, through that work, being able to realize it's like we had new glasses, like, oh, wait a minute. We keep circling all these issues, but here's the deeper thing, right? Like so-and-so is afraid of this. This person like, you know, has a trauma from that. And, and, and it's really those things that are actually creating all the noise, but no one's talking about it, right? And there isn't space right. to talk about it. So I think for us, we just we started to, 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 to see that's where the, the gold was. And I think both us living in our edge and being in service of people in that space, it was like, we had to like, what are the best tools? Like, who are the best humans to support this stuff? You know? And so um, that just kind of, yeah, I mean, it was, that, that's what led us down that path. And, and I think I can go on about it for a long time, but what I, what, I, what I think is important to say is that while it has been hard and challenging, it has been by far the most rewarding part of this. I mean, we are having so much more fun and feeling so much more aliveness than we could have ever imagined. It's like, it's when we started, if it was like, hey, 10 out of 10, it's like, we're like at 35 out of 10 right now. And it just keeps getting better, you know? And I wish it's like, how could, how do I express like how fun it is to play, you know, in this way and to be, cause, cause we're in relationship this way with everyone, right? So what happens, there's like just a whole different kind of trust, right? A whole different kind of openness. And, you know, I think, um, 
there's just there's so much joy and depth of connection right in that that it's just almost hard to put into words yeah i mean when i am have in those types of moments i'm feeling those types of connections and feelings i'm like man how can i bottle this up and give it to the world yeah you know yeah. like it's hard, it's impo- it's nearly impossible to explain but i but i get it you know yeah yeah so i mean it's, it sounds like it's been an incredible journey it's it's amazing to hear you know where things are in terms of the excitement and the the joy around it um for social entrepreneurs out there you know maybe they're early stage maybe they're a little later you know what advice do you have for them I think we touched on it a little bit before, but I think that some of the things that we, the place we just worked, we can put a finer point on it and talk about a couple um, things in more depth. And, and, and the thing we touched on earlier was the intentionality with and the care with the, who you surround yourself with, right, is everything. And that recognition of sort of the leaning into like that inner change. And if, you, if those two things can align, if you really can surround yourself with the people that not only are aligned with you on mission and supportive and da, 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 but are actually, you know, some of them um, you're in relationship where you're supporting one another's becoming um, not only will it be deeply supportive in moments of crisis and trouble and save you a lot of headache and be a lot more fun. But I think there's just a fundamental, here's where I'm going to go. I think it is actually the ground of creation. I think the provocative thing is like, it's almost like we have come to understand that the real metaphysics of startup creation is in the seed fractal of the relationships of the humans that are holding the thing. And every problem that occurs and every challenge and every piece of noise, you can actually see it in that core seed fractal. So if you really tend to that and you really invest in that and you refine that and you make that more vibrant and essentially you increase trust, right? Well, you're, incre- you're increasing the level of trust uh, in ways that, um, again, are hard to put into words because most, like most businesses don't even ever, most people don't even ever, like they think they're at a place that's really good and they don't, they kind of leave it alone. They don't realize there's like, oh, it could be so much better. It unlocks, it unlocks possibility. I mean, it's truly like what we witness in companies is that things begin to happen non-linearly. People are experiencing synchronicity, magnetism, stuff shows up that just needs to show up. It's less efforting. It's more flow, right? There's been science of flow. Like, you know, like it's, it's that. You're unlocking not just individual flow, but group flow. And that is, that is the um, most potent engine for creation and for, um, for uh, unlocking the possibilities of realizing mission. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that group flow is incredibly powerful when you can find it. Yeah. So you, I mean, you've worked with some really incredible people that are working on, you know, tremendous projects that are truly changing the world. 
are there any stories or a story in particular where you really saw how your work was affecting change or, you know, an epiphany moment where you were like, wow, like I, I kind of seized that. And, you know, it could be in, in a humble way, but just that, you know, you, you really saw your impact face to face, if you will. Yeah. I'll share it in two ways. Um, I think the first way is, is, is sort of a transition from your last question to this one, actually. Um, but if you think about, you know, like this year, we, we got a chance to lead what was the largest financing round in history for um, a health technology company. We led like a, it was a $1.2 billion financing round. And we didn't get to do that because we had a strategy and a plan. We have no website. We don't market anything. We're like this tiny little crew that nobody knows about. Um, you know, none of the traditional or conventional ways of like what gets you into that position. Um, I shouldn't say none, but many of them were absent, <laughs> right? right? And it was just like this, truly like following our hearts, you know? I mean, it sounds corny, but it was this like giving ourselves permission to be a little wackier and crazier, more true versions of ourselves, despite, you know, what people thought, going a little further and going a little further. And, you know, the universe just kind of organized itself, right? To enable us to be in relationship with and then to do things with those people that, you know, were frankly, you know, would have been far beyond any plan we could have scripted. And so I think that, but it's, but, but there's no, I'm like, it's like, you know, who's like, there's very, you don't see that very often, right? Like it's, we don't have models to like, so I just, you know, for me, it's just the encouragement. It's like, we're like encouragement for people to do that. So that's, that's part of sort of our own story in that way. But I think the, so it's like just what life gives back to us is the encouragement, you know, to like go a little further. Oh, okay. Like this is working. We can do a little more, do a little more. But, you know, I think what, that's at a very meta level, right? And at a very, actually the fundamental level, what was underpinning that was just, wow, it's so simple. It was just, there's there's like moments that happen every day and every week where we had to create a, a safer, more loving space with our teams and founders to for them to share what they're, like more of authentically what's there, what they're scared of, or for them to just get out of the noise and have a chance to like listen more deeply to themselves and to hear things within themselves that they otherwise may not have got to, you know? So one of our entrepreneurs, like we have a weekly call and um, there's three of us in this triad, right? And we just hold that space. And he's like, I, he's like, I end up talking about things I don't talk about with anyone else. I have realizations in here in this space I don't have anywhere else. So I like, I need this space, you know, to, and, um, and then, and so we have a lot of those spaces. And so it's just what comes back and what people reflect yeah. to us about what's meaningful for them. That's actually, that is the most meaningful part. 
right? And yeah. it builds connection and meaning, and and that's really the encouragement. And it, and the thing is, it's like we're not doing anything special or fancy, right. or that every every one of us and every human being has the capacity to do. Like yeah. it's all of our nature to do it, but we somehow have been taught, right? That oh, well, we don't we don't do that in business, right? Yeah. And so we're just missing out. Changing the game for the better. I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, it's really powerful. And, um, you know, I love the place that you've gotten to in your career and in your mindset and um, how you're creating impact amongst these various companies. And you, you talked about the great community you grew up in, but I'm, I'm curious along the way, has there been anyone that you've really considered a mentor? It's weird, Jeff, because I um, mentors are like so important in people's lives, so important. And, um, you know, in my professional career, I think starting on my own so early in my first business, we started, we had like, you know, a couple of us, like 21 year olds. And then we had like these like, 60 year old like highly accomplished you know humans that we surrounded ourselves with and in a way they were mentors but we were also like they joined our business and so it was like it was this weird dynamic um so i think there's so many people that i've learned from but i've actually lacked and sort of longed for like mentorship in that you know traditional sense yeah um um you know the person who's arising right now was just in high school. Um, my uncle who just passed away a couple months ago, um, who was a clean tech entrepreneur that I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, um, was my first window. Cause I, I grew up in a, in a family of like academic and sort of very, you know, professionals. Right. So, um, it wasn't like a lot of experience with business and entrepreneurship. So kind of getting to see some stuff through his eyes, getting sort of my first, you know, like lessons in the, in the, um, business, you know, that felt really meaningful. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, uh, he's just present right now also, cause you know, I think him just passing yeah. away recently. Um, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. But no, it's, it's odd that I don't have like someone come to mind in the traditional sense, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's honestly, in, in this space, it's not an uncommon answer that, you know, I've learned from so many people over the years. And, you know, I think that in order to create the type of change that you are, you have to take in so much information and take in from so many people and you have to absorb and you have to learn. And, um, you know, sometimes people answer, oh, this one particular person is my formal mentor. But yeah. I'd say more often than not, it's, you know, a lot of people have helped me along the way and have taught me along the way. And, I've had an open mind to, to learn. Yeah, that, that resonates so much. So this is the, the part in the podcast where I let my guests ask me a question if they'd like. <laughs> well, I think you already have a sense of what I'm going to ask you. But um, I think I'm curious, like, you know, what, what has shifted recently or is in the process of shifting is kind of like an open edge for you in terms of 
um, yeah, your inner journey, you know, whether it's the spiritual journey or whether it's just like the question, you know, like the, 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 the you know, the answers that you're questioning. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is just, you know, my son being born, he's uh, a little over a year and a half. Um, and that certainly has just changed my perspective on life and the world and every decision that I make, you know, is, uh, his future's in my mind now as well. And, um, that's been really impactful and just in the way that I see the world. And, um, you know, I'd say that I am one that is always in a lot of areas and, you know, have a lot of irons in the fire, if you will. And so I'd say, you know, sort of my daily struggle is determining the most impactful place to spend my time. And, um, that was part of this journey with the podcast is really just, mm. I want to absorb the people that are doing the types of things that I want to do and that creating the type of change that the world needs. And um, as part of figuring out the best places to focus my energy, um, you know, I'm learning from people like you that uh, are giving me th this time and sharing the incredible work that they've been doing. Thanks, Jeff. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Yeah. Nothing like a shift in perspective and having a child, right? Um, right. And it's a really easy gateway to like the future for our own children to get to the future for all children. Yeah. You know, it's like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it gives you more investment in the future of the world, yeah. you know, and more investment, you know, as much as you can love all of the world's children, having your own just changes the perspective and people you know, certainly tell you before you have a kid, like, oh, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But it, it just, it, it's not clear till it happens. No, and there's nothing like uh, the embodied experience or something. Yeah, I know. I think that I appreciate that question. It's when I ask these questions, it's so interesting to see how they vary. You know, one concern I had when I sort of added in this portion was, am I going to get asked the same questions a lot? And even though I'm interviewing somewhat similar types of people, they, they tend to vary and some are more specific, some are more in depth, you know, some are more spiritual. So um, I really appreciate this one. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me, Jeff. It was a lot of fun. And uh, well, I've got one more for you. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So this, this is a, a question that I've, uh, another one that I've been doing throughout every episode, making sure to include this and, you know, at some point I'm going to be compiling to kind of see how, how they vary. But okay. you know, if you could sna snap your fingers and fix one thing in the world, what would it be? And how do you think that change would reverberate? This is an easy one for me, actually. Um, Great. For me, the snap of the fingers would be that um, we... Um, we could really feel um other people's emotions we could feel what it would be like to be them much more easily yeah um because if that were true then we could create a world tomorrow we have the resources to create a world where everyone can thrive and flourish everyone and that it can be done regeneratively in harmony with nature we're here like we can create that and it's just that shift, right, of 
caring, uh, seeing caring for other as caring for ourselves, right? Yeah. Giving a heavy dose of empathy. I feel that. That's it. Yeah, I agree. That would go the longest of ways. And I think there's ways we can do that, you know, gradually. But um, I look forward to a world where people are more empathetic and understanding of their neighbors and are living not only for themselves, but for them as well. Yeah. So it's been awesome having you. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, lastly, I know people listening are inspired. Uh, how can people support you and or your impact? Oh, thank you. Um, thing that comes to mind that's related to what we just talked about is um, how do we turn? Could everyone, I mean, what would make me so happy is like anyone who hears this looks for one thing a day in an interaction with money where they're reclaiming more humanity in the relationship with money. Like they're, they're doing more in the spirit of true gift uh, with money. And it can be just like really little things, you know, um, but looking for those opportunities, I think, unlock something in our consciousness uh, yeah. in a really profound way. So that would be yeah. an ask. That's, that's beautiful. Well, Tabriz, thanks again so much. Um, always enjoy talking to you and I'm excited to share this with the listeners and um, look forward to keeping our conversation going. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Are The Answer. To find out more, go to peoplearetheanswer.com.